Good morning. I've been hanging out in the back. Y'all look really good from the back. You look good from the front, too. I'm going to brag on my wife, Mary, a little bit this morning, because my wife, Mary, she could be a professional shopper. Mary could make a living out of people paying her to do their shopping. And that's because when it comes to shopping, my wife is good. She's really good. Mary's had friends ask her help to help them update their wardrobe. And so she'll take a, a friend out on a shopping adventure. And you know, there's something I really like about those shopping adventures where she takes a friend out is because on one hand, Mary gets to enjoy herself shopping. And on the other hand, she's spending somebody else's money. It's a win-win. A highlight, you know, of the shopping year is, is Black Friday. My wife has been known to get up early in the morning, go out at the crack of dawn to go shopping. She'll shop for a few hours, and then she'll often return home to pick up a friend to go out for the second round of shopping. Many of you might know that Mary and I go to Branson at least twice, if not three times a year. And whenever we go to Branson, a trip is not complete without making a visit to the outlet mall. And when we go to the outlet mall, I usually find myself a really good bench in the shade where I can sit. And they've got good Wi-Fi there, so it all works. You know, Mary loves to shop, but she's also smart about it. She buys good stuff. She buys brand name items, but she never, never pays full price. In fact, just this week, we were talking, and Mary was really excited. She told me she got some shampoo, a big container of shampoo for 50 cents. And I thought, wow, she is either really getting frugal, or maybe the shampoo's for me, because it really doesn't matter how much you spend. <laughs> but actually... It was the good stuff. It was her normal stuff with lots of discounts and coupons added. But I've said this to some of you before, and I still have to confess it. When Mary comes home from a shopping trip and says, Honey, guess how much money I've saved us? I get concerned. Now, the fact is, is whether you're a master shopper like my wife, somewhere in between, or, or more like a people, person like me that kind of disdains shopping, you all probably know what BOGO means. What's BOGO mean? Right, it, it, it's usually you buy one and you get that second item free or at least 50% off. It's typically a really great deal. And, and the reason I'm talking about shopping this morning and, and talking a little bit about BOGO because I have got a great deal for you guys on today's message. Today is BOGO Sunday message. You're going to get two messages for the price of one. We're not going to pass around the offering plate a second time for the second message. <laughs> Somebody wants us to. And, and, and probably as you're sitting there, the, maybe the better news for this for all of you is it's not going to be two full-length messages. And so I, yay! <laughs> you guys are really into it this morning. So anyway, we're going to be moving fast, and you're going to have to hang on, so are you all ready? Oh yeah, ready. So here we go. If you were with us last week, I'm going to start out talking a little fast. You might remember we began a three-week review of our church mission statement. Our mission states, in Christ, we love people, we impact our community, and we make disciples. 
Our mission is directed towards action. It's directed toward actively living out our faith. And without God, our mission is meaningless. We love people. We impact our community. We make disciples in Christ. We do it out of love for God the Father. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we're united to Christ. And what that means is we are in a relationship with our Lord and Savior, and our mission ultimately is to bring glory to God. If you were here last week, we talked about the first two words in our mission, right up here at the top, in Christ. Today, we're going to focus on how we love people and how we impact our community. And that's why we have a BOGO message, two messages on one Sunday. The first message, or part one, we're going to look at loving people. And then part two, we're going to focus on impacting our community. If you think about it, though, those two, and in fact all of the statements that are present in our mission, are all tied together. Everything we do should be in Christ. And because we love God, we love people. And since we love people, we desire to impact our community. And as we love people and we impact our community, it's a great vehicle to make disciples. And so with that in mind, we're going to get started with message number one, and that is we love people. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 17 actually provides a very quick snapshot of what it means to love people. If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn it to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 17. The key verses are also going to be on the screen. The, Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul began in verse 9 by saying this. He said, love must be sincere. And then a few verses later in verse 13, he said, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And then in verses 15 and 16, he said, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Now, if you really want to distill down Paul's words there, it could be paraphrased as simply this. Really love people. Our love is to be genuine. Our love is to be generous. It rejoices with those who are filled with joy, and it, and it mourns with people who are mourning. It hurts with others who are hurting. It seeks to live in peace with others. And it's humble. When I was in the, um, the corporate world several years back, we had a, a word, or actually a term, two words, that I think are still used today, and the, the term is brown nose. And most of you know where it gets its name, so we're not going to go into that. But let's just talk about what a brown noser does. This is a person who often acts like they are your very best friend. They might shower you with praise. They tell you that they have your back. And that's all great, but the, the truth of the matter is for these people is they're not your best friend. They really don't have your back, and their praise is empty. They're being nice. They're putting on the pretense of caring about you because they want to get something in return from you. It was my first job as a chemist. I had a young engineer who reported to me, and he was a decent guy. He was a pretty good worker. His actual best skill was, though, his ability to brown nose. He would always tell me how awesome I was. And, behind, and, and then he'd also try and convince others on the team 
what a great team player he was and how the company was so wonderful. But then behind my back, he was critical and complained about the company and complained about his coworkers. It wasn't hard to see through his game. And the message is don't be that guy. Instead, love people. Really love them. Giving them praise is great if you mean it. Love them with a sincere heart. But if we really care about someone, we don't simply tell that person what they want to hear. That's because when we love people, we are supposed to hold to the truth. Going back to Romans 12, 9, Paul said, Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, and what is good is true. And we live in a culture where holding to that truth, the biblical truth, can cause problems. In fact, when Christians hold to the truth concerning things like the lives of unborn and marriage and sex and gender identity and so on, it's very easy for that to be labeled as hate. And, and I have to admit to you, there are people who call themselves Christians who do breed hate. They beat people on the head with the truth. They're not sharing the truth in love. Actually, truth for them is a weapon. It's a way to put others down. It's a way to make themselves feel better. Instead, we are called to demonstrate our love for others by standing on the truth with grace and compassion. We realize that we are all sinners. And when we point out the sins of another person, we better be ready to have our own sins pointed out. We are firm. We are loving. But we're also gentle. Pastor and author Edwin Lutzer put it this way. He said, love and truth are not enemies. He said, the contemporary view is, is if you're loving, you can't be truthful. And if you're truthful, you're certainly not being loving. But Jesus said that if you're in his love, you'll keep his commandments. In other words, what he was saying is you will share the truth precisely because you're loving. Loving people, though, also means that we love the unlovable. Paul wrote, bless those who persecute you. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. And I, and I wouldn't have to take a poll, but I think we would all agree that the people who persecute us, the people who do evil mean things to us, are people that we would consider unlovable. Instead of cursing them, we pray for them. We ask God to bless them. We love people who are different than us. We love people who we don't agree with. And, and here's the big takeaway on loving people. The big thing is to invite them to church. Invite them to your community group, to your connection class, to maybe your church organization, or to the lunch bunch. Introduce them to Jesus Christ. You could maybe do that at the coffee shop or over lunch. Introducing them to Jesus, that demonstrates true love. In loving people, we impact our community. And with that, we're moving to message two. Y'all look pretty good. If anybody needs to stretch a little bit before we go on to message two, we good? All right, this one's longer. Just give you a heads up. Our second message actually begins with a true story. I read it a couple years ago, and it actually changed the way I look at our church. Some of you might be familiar with the story. I've shared it with you, or maybe you've read it yourself. There was a, a church whose property was being taken by the city that, for a parking lot. See, the parking lot was needed by the city for their growing shopping district. And the church was going to have to move and rebuild. 
The pastor, he went to the city council meeting because he wanted to hear the details of what was going on and how it was going to impact them and the timing. He understood that there was a need for the parking lot to help the community. And he and his congregation were not happy about this, but they were willing to find a new place in town for their church for the good of the community. During the, the council meeting, the pastor asked the city where they would like, or asked the council, excuse me, he asked the council where in the city they would like the church to move. You know, did they have another spot picked out for him? The response he received was shocking. The council chairman said very plainly, he said, we don't care where you move. We just need your property. At that moment, that pastor learned a painful lesson. His church was not valued by the community. They could disappear, and no one would miss them. And when I heard that story a couple of years ago, it still rings true with me because it hit me like a rock. And I think about this. What if Bethesda closed tomorrow? Would anybody miss us? It was kind of a wake-up call. And, and I will say this, Bethesda, we are active in our community, but I sense God back then and even today, Him calling us to do more, much more. We have to impact our community for the glory of God. We're to be the light of Christ. We're called to make a difference for the glory of God. And to do so, if we really want to do that, we've got to focus outside the walls of this building. Thomas Rayner, in his book, The Autopsy of a Deceased Church, The Autopsy of a Dead Church, put it very clearly. He wrote, when a church puts others first, there is life. When the church puts me first, there is death. Church isn't about us. Church is about God, and it's about reaching with the love of Jesus Christ to the people outside these walls. The prophet Jeremiah actually provides a, a lesson for us on how to get outside the walls to impact our community. His message is recorded in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 7. Jeremiah is in the Old Testament. It's right after the book of Isaiah. It's before Lamentations and Ezekiel. But before we read this short passage, we need a little background information. See, Jeremiah was writing to the Jewish exiles who were living in Babylon. The Assyrians had been the major power in that region, but their days of control were over. The Babylonians were now the dominant force, and they attacked the Jewish people. They destroyed Jerusalem, burning the temple to the ground. The vast majority of the remaining Jewish people were carried off to Babylon. It was a very dark time. The Israelites didn't choose to live in Babylon. They wanted to be home. They were exiles. They were captives in a strange land. And with all that in mind, listen to God's message in Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, we might not catch it because we're reading this in 2020, but there are several shocking statements 
in those verses. And the first shock shows up in verse 4. God told his people that he carried them into exile. In case we missed that, he actually repeats it in verse 7. God's action, though, was justified. It was just. The Israelites, they had abandoned their faith. They had turned their back on God. And so God used the pagan Babylonians to bring judgment. And this judgment, though, was motivated by love. And it reminds us that, you know, we don't always recognize it, but God does sometimes use tough times as a wake-up call to bring his people back to him. Then in the next verses, God actually provided some specific instructions on how the Jewish people were to live in Babylon. And as you think about that, we've received a similar message from the disciple Peter. He said that Christians are foreigners and exiles in this world. Just like Babylon wasn't home for the Jewish people, this is not our home. We belong to heaven. Heaven is our home. But God has us here to do his work. And that means we impact those around us, our community. Our community includes people who live near this church. It's also the people who live in the neighborhoods around our house or where we go to school. To make a difference, we have to commit to the community. And the first part of that community commitment is to make that community our home. Make it your home. It's the same commitment God instructed Jewish exiles to demonstrate. God said through the prophet Jeremiah, build houses and settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Now you have to realize here that the Jewish people living in Babylon, they were going to be there for 70 years. This wasn't a short time. And so it makes sense that they would need to build homes and they would need to plant crops. As a result of their exile and that and spread, many of the Jewish people spread throughout the Mideast. And this dispersion, or diaspora as it's also called, was later used by God to help spread the gospel. You know, when this, this church, Bethesda, opened its doors over 100 years ago, I would guess that most of the people who attended here lived within two to five miles of this church. Bethesda was a community church. The Bethesda kids went to school together. Church members probably saw each other at the grocery store, at the gas station, at the neighborhood restaurants. But before long, people started moving. Families started moving further out into the county. Others did stay in the community, though. As a result, though, the congregation became more dispersed. And as happened with the spread of the gospel in the first century, dispersion could be a good thing. The reach of Bethesda Church has expanded. But still, that dispersion brings challenges. For those who live 10 or more miles away, our neighbors may not want to drive to South County to go to church with us. That's okay. We still minister to the neighborhood where we live. But we also never forget the community that's right around this church. It's a blessing that we have members who still live close by. They help us reach new people in this community. As new people move in to be their neighbors, they can reach out to them. The Afton Lime area is our church home. We are committed to this community. And that commitment shows as we invest in the future. Jeremiah wrote, Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. 
the Jewish people were supposed to look beyond the immediate challenges of living as exiles in Babylon. They were to invest into the next generation and the generation after that. Now, there's one thing that can be really challenging about investing in the future, investing in future generations, and that's because it often requires a willingness to change. If we aren't willing to change, our church won't be around in the future. That's a fact. The good news is, though, is that here at Bethesda, we've been trying new things. We started this lift worship service several years ago. It's grown. Our preschool is in its second years. It, second year, it too is growing. The preschool has brought people into our doors on Sunday mornings. The preschool is impacting a new generation of children and their families throughout the week. We hired an associate pastor, Pastor David. Pastor David has restarted our small group ministry, which we now call community groups. Community groups are a vehicle to disciple and reach new people. Each week, these groups talk about Scripture. They apply the Bible's teaching. They're building relationships. And they hold social events where people can invite others. In other words, they have a social event where somebody that's in the group can invite their friend who maybe has never been to church and doesn't want to come to church or go to a Bible study, but they can get them introduced to the group through a social event. We're refocusing our advertising dollars toward better returns on our website and Facebook. We recently began a new mover program. People moving into our community get a postcard and an invite to our church. And the fact is, is as long as we keep our eyes on Jesus, as long as we're willing to follow him wherever he leads, our future's bright. It's really bright. As we invest in that future, we also improve our community. Jeremiah wrote, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. The Babylonians, they were the enemy. And yet God said to pray for them and to seek peace of the, and prosperity of the city. The, the Hebrew word that's used there that we uh, translate as peace is shalom. God wanted shalom for Babylon. Shalom is often equated to peace, but actually it's got a deeper meaning. It's more than peace. It's seeking the overall welfare or the well-being of the people. And if you think about it, that was an incredibly challenging message for the Jewish people. They might have asked, how could God say, seek the peace and prosperity of the city? Pray for it. We're supposed to seek the peace and prosperity of our enemies? We're supposed to pray for our enemies? They might have questioned, Jeremiah, did you really hear this from God? He did. And God said, do it. And we're to do the same. Peter said we're strangers and aliens in this world. In a lot of ways, the world's going wacko. Christian values are disappearing like our lawns disappeared under the rainwater yesterday and the day before. The lawn was still there. It was just drowning under inches of rain. Similarly, in our culture, Christian values are still there, but they're covered by so many other things. And our mission is to bring those to the surface. Jesus said we are to be the light of the world. We're to let our light shine. And each one of us should get up every morning and ask ourselves, is my light shining? And we should commit that our light will shine each day. 
the light of Bethesda for Christ is shining. But I also think it can shine brighter. I want to share some, a few of the, the many positive ways that we are working to improve our community. First, we're long-term supporters of Feed My People. Through this Christian ministry, we are helping people that are right in our back door, backyard. Your donations of food, money, and time are making a difference. If you want to help, just bring in some non-perishable food. We've also begun to make a big impact in our public schools. Beerbaum Elementary and Bernard and Berkeley Middle Schools are places where we're working. We've provided snacks and school supplies and Christmas gifts, and we've prayed. We've helped pay for lunches for kids, and we've had a beginning of the school year lunch for the teacher, teachers at a couple schools. And the great thing is, is our impact is being noticed. In December, Nathan, a counselor in our contact at Beerbaum, wrote this on Facebook. He said, we are so thankful to our friends from Bethesda E. Free Church for making a large donation to pay off student lunch account balances. Thank you, Bethesda, for being such an awesome community partner. That's our goal. We want to be a Christian awesome community partner. If you want to get involved in our school work, we periodically put out requests for specific school supplies. We can always use individually packaged chips, pretzels, fruit bars, and other snacks. Last fall, a new ministry, Grief Share, began at Bethesda. This is a ministry for people suffering from the loss of a loved one. It's open to all. It's a great opportunity. If you know someone who's hurting, who's in pain after a loss, invite them to come to Grief Share. King's Kids Club starts up again this week. You might know, not know this, but most of the children who attend our Wednesday night program aren't here on Sunday mornings. Some of them are, but most of them aren't. And what that means is King's Kids Club is allowing us to share the gospel with children who can't get here on Sunday. We're reaching into our community. If you want to get involved, see Carolyn Miller. She'll sign you up in a hurry. Being committed to our community brings blessings. I think we'd all agree. And one of the community blessings is if the community prospers, we will prosper. Jeremiah wrote, if Babylon, Babylon prospers, you too, Jewish people, will prosper. It's the same in our community. More jobs, less crime, better schools, and successful businesses are good for the community, and they're good for the church. When we make the community our home, when we invest in that community, when we work to improve it, we actually start building some long-term relationships. The people who come into our lives are a blessing. Through our community outreach in the past few years, we've met some new people. They're great, awesome people. So is each person that enters this church building on a Sunday morning or throughout the week. And those long-term relationships provide opportunities to share our faith. Think about the Israelites in Babylon. They had 70 years. They had 70 years to witness to the God they served, to his moral commands, to his judgment, and to his mercy. And that's true for us as well. Let me give you an example. Last summer, Pastor David, Amber Crummel, and I had lunch with a, a counselor from one of the nearby middle schools. And because we're committed to the schools, because we'd started building relationships with the schools, we actually had an opportunity to talk about our faith with this counselor. And I'm sure many of you have similar stories. We're on mission. 
I recently ran across a, a message insert from February 13th, 2011, nine years ago, and it was a, a message that was talking about our vision and our mission. And a, a few statements on that insert stood out. It said, we seek to transform the lives of families through the love of Jesus Christ. It stated we expect Bethesda to be a church that is impacting the community through tangible acts of love and service. And finally, it said we will be obedient to the Great Commission by making disciples. Our mission is clear. Our mission hasn't changed. It's based on God's work. It's meant to bring people to Christ. It's for the glory of God. But without action, it's just a bunch of words. So I challenge us to fulfill our mission. We really should love people. We need to put our love in action. And I know is some things I'm going to talk about, some ideas of how to put your love in action. Some of you are already doing these things, and that's great, and keep doing it. But here's some suggestions. Make a, a meal for someone who's experienced loss. Drive a neighbor to a store or offer to drive them to church. Be a friend. Listen. Even if it's ours, listen. Smile. Share a kind word. Be a big tipper. Invite someone to church. And always, always be ready to tell another person about the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. To fulfill our mission, we impact our community. We donate food to feed my people. We can provide snacks to our local schools. You could bring a child, a neighbor kid, to our Wednesday Night Kings Kids Club or just offer to volunteer. And we pray. We pray. Our mission begins and ends with talking to God. In Christ, we love people. We impact our community. And we make disciples. I hope you come back next week and bring someone. We'll be talking about disciple making. Let's pray.